Hi, this is John Leahy, host of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning in to the podcast on a weekly basis. I truly appreciate my great audience. I'd also like to encourage you to consider subscribing to the podcast. We're on Apple and Spotify and virtually any place where podcasts are heard. So if you like the content, please consider subscribing. I appreciate it once again. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you'll enjoy this week's episode. Everyone, welcome to the latest edition of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. I'm John Leahy. We are delighted to have you here on the podcast once again. I'd like to thank my guests from last week, Bridget Prue and Natalie Nori. They are covering the women's bean pot as we speak right now at Harvard University. We had a great preview of the women's bean pot last week. If you'd like to check out that episode or any other episode we've done here on the podcast, please head on over to LeahyStorytelling.com. That's L-E-A-H-Y Storytelling.com. You can find all the episodes that we've done there. You can also find all kinds of goodies like a, a blog. You can find a video area uh, with some cool videos. You can also find uh, an area where you can send me voice messaging. There's a purple microphone at the lower right-hand corner of each page. And there's a rating system. You can rate any episode you'd like from zero to five stars or uh, leave your own rating. And uh, please feel free to check out my website at johnrleahy.com. This podcast links directly to the website. This week, I'm so delighted to have with us uh, a man that I've always wanted to meet. I've heard a lot of great things about. He is a longtime broadcaster in the state of New Hampshire, 23-time New Hampshire Sportscaster of the Year. His name is Jim Janot, and Jim, I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks for taking some time tonight. Thank you, John. It's nice to be here. Thanks. Well, it's there's so many things I want to touch on with you. And uh, first of all, I got to tell you, you know, 23 times winning Sportscaster of the Year in New Hampshire. Uh, it, isn't it great to be uh, uh, known by your peers? And I can I can only imagine that must be a really humbling uh, feeling for you. I must not have had a whole lot of competition, is that it? <laughs> Nobody doing games. Uh, no, I am. I'm very humbled. I, uh, I, it was over many years, but we had some great broadcasters in the state. And uh, until a friend of yours and mine, Mike Murphy, came along, he kind of broke my string and uh, mm -hmm. went on to win a few himself since I have last won. Yeah, now, <laughs> you won the first one, and if I saw that correctly, 1969, right? It was in that area. I wouldn't be positive, but that's about right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So th that that's an amazing, uh, amazing accomplishment. There's been a lot of great uh, sportscasters up there in New Hampshire that have won that award. So 
we're going to talk a lot about the sports that you did up there, but I guess we can start, Jim, by, and by the way, I will get to Mike Murphy in a little while, so we have to explore okay. that as well. But uh, uh, you hosted a game show, a quiz show called the Granite State Challenge for 34 years. You recently retired from that. Why don't you give our listeners a sense of uh, what that show was all about and what your role is was when you did it? Well, for the real old timers like me, uh, there was once upon a time on television a GE College Bowl. That okay. was kind of a national event. Uh, this was kind of a watered-down version of the GE College Bowl, and it was called Granite State Challenge, and basically it was a competition, uh, academic competition, between uh, high school teams within the state of New Hampshire. Four people, th- Four-person teams competed for a half an hour, it went on through about a 32-week season before a true state champion was crowned in April every year. So it was very well received. As you've mentioned, I did it 34 years. It's still going on now. And, uh, and so it's a very popular high school event. A lot of people who like to play Jeopardy, and I'm talking about people who have no ties to the schools participating no ties to the students. They just like to play Jeopardy. Used to tune us in and 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 play the game because it's very very similar. And you had a lot of fun hosting that game, didn't you? That was a lot of fun because uh, you got to know the kids, especially as they won. The first week they come in, they are petrified. They're they're nervous. They're sweating. You offer a handshake, and uh, it's clammy hands, and you <laughs> you know the feeling. Second week, it's, uh, hi, Jim, how are you? And if they win a third game, they flip my tie and nice tie, Jim, and all this stuff. And so you just saw the kids grow as the season went on. And it it was very rewarding in that regard. Uh, We had good tales of others. We had one, a very small school in Hillsboro, New Hampshire. And the captain was a young lady who was very shy. Mm -hmm. Got the impression, didn't have a whole lot of friends, was a close-to-herself type of person, but she was really good. And she led this little team to two or three wins. I don't think they <laughs> won at all, but two or three wins. And and I got a note from their principal, uh, either their principal or their coach, uh, after the season to say how much this woman had, this girl, had just blossomed. So it was nice. And there were, there were rewards. It was fun. Now, the cool thing was also that you uh, took over from Tom Bergeron. Tom Bergeron oh, yeah. Tom Bergeron had it for the first year, and then he went on to other things, and you uh, slid right in there, and the rest is history. But uh, Tom, Bergeron, Tom Bergeron went on to make a pretty good career for himself. Yeah, I did not follow Tom Bergeron except for this one event. <laughs> I replaced him for Granite State Challenge. He went from there to, I think, WBZ in Boston initially. Uh, I think that's what it was. But then again, he went to the national scene, and we all know about Tom. Witty, very funny man, great guy. But the only time I followed him was to replace him on Granite State Challenge. And then <laughs> I never went away. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all grateful for that, that's for sure. Uh, the, you, you used to, uh, during the show, I was reading that you used to kind of spin the game cards up in the air, right? At some point. Could you tell us that story? Well, the, the story pretty much, I had all the questions on the card. We would go over all the questions in advance two or three times. And just before the show, I would phonetically write out the 
a word that I was a little leery about pronouncing correctly. But then it came a time eventually that if, if I couldn't pronounce it, I'd start to say the question and I stumble on the word. I finally said, if you can't, if you can't say it, don't read it. And I would just <laughs> throw the card towards the camera ahead of me and we'd go on to the next question. And then it started happening about once a show. I didn't want it to happen too often, but I did throw the card a few times. Well, that's the broadcaster in you, right? It, it's you got to be one hundred percent right on target with the pronunciations, right? That kind of. I, did, I didn't. I didn't want to make an edit at that point, so let's just <laughs> get rid of the question and keep on moving. Now, was it true? Was it true also that uh, you would not ask any questions that ended in prepositions? Is that true? We had, and it's a funny story, but we had one of our judges. Her name was Mary Potter. She was an, an English teacher from Portsmouth High School. And we'd go over all the questions in advance, and whoever prepared the questions, many times would end it with a preposition. And she didn't <laughs> accept that. She And I learned thereafter how to word the uh, question. Uh, and I could spot it, uh, that... that um, uh, this is not the way the sentence is supposed to end. And uh, I don't think I got them all, but I, yeah, I started to learn how to ask the questions in proper English. All right. <laughs> well, what what went into the decision, Jim, to move on from that show? You said, you know, we talked about 34 years being there. What went into the decision to kind of uh, step aside? I think it was just time. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't having trouble with it, but yet, when you start to get into the mid-70s of your life, uh, you hesitate a little bit on certain things as they're happening. And as it's doing, in reading questions and in pronouncing words right and identifying the kids, being able to see we'd have a buzzer sitting set up and I had the lights with the names of the kids in front of me. And then, of course, you have to react to the question to the lights, try to identify the kid. Uh, you know, it's just things that we're slowing down. It's like in anything else. And it was time. I, I could have gone a little longer, but it, it was time. So, I mean, everybody's familiar with Jeopardy and how it works. How how close of a parallel was your show to Jeopardy? And could the kids identify it for, uh, with it in that way? I think, uh, I think it was, well, the premise is the same. You ask a lot of questions. And, uh, and we would ask a lot of questions. We would ask maybe 60 some odd questions in the half hour with the interruptions of the interviews. And we, it was pretty rapid fire. We learned how to shorten questions and not to have long questions. We had one, uh, a third round of the four was called our 62nd round. Mm -hmm. And we had a sheet with 10 questions mm -hmm. and three, three categories. They choose the category. The whole team could speak in 60 seconds and I was just rapid fire go through 10 questions. So mm -hmm. we got through a lot of questions in the half hour. That was the only difference from a Jeopardy. Other than that, it was question, answer, question, answer. But uh, so it was similar. And that's why I said at the very beginning, a lot of adults, a lot of people who had no ties to the kids or the schools wanted to tune in just to play the game like they do with Jeopardy. I wish we could have watched it down here in Massachusetts. So I think we got. They eventually got one going. Oh, good. Good. Okay. It wasn't called Granite State Challenge, <laughs> uh, but I think Channel 2 out of Boston, maybe even Channel 5 for a short period, would have an 8 to 10 week. Hours were 32 weeks long, but 8 to 10 week uh, series. And so they did get it 
and Matt, they learned eventually in Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Well, I, I want to talk about your broadcasting in New Hampshire because your your career has spanned uh, five decades. And correct me if I'm wrong on that number, but I wanted to ask you, how did your love of broadcasting start? I know you went to UNH. You were a student there back in the 60s, and you did games on the uh, campus station. You did a lot of basketball. So where did it all start for you in terms of your love for broadcasting? Started as a writer. I was. Uh, we had a very active local newspaper. Uh, we had a lot of leagues, very highly, highly competitive after-supper baseball leagues and after-supper softball leagues. And the local paper would assign a high schooler to go and write a story and print it in the paper the next day. So that's how I started. Mm -hmm. I never thought it was going to be a broadcaster, never gave it two thoughts. I was at UNH, and even in the first semester, well, no, I had to back off. There was there were two, two events that were much larger than that. Mm -hmm. My junior year, the Red Sox Network had a junior sportscaster contest. You had to write in, I'll say this as quick as I can, write in, in so many words, why you wanted to be a Red Sox junior sportscaster. Right. If you were selected, you get to interview with the, and this is the whole network. So the interview with the sports director of your radio station. Mm -hmm. So like some fool, instead of going to my Concord, New Hampshire radio station, I went to WHDH in Boston. But I was chosen as one of the finalists to go down for the finals. Mm -hmm. That basically what turned out to be the semifinals. And my sportscaster interviewing me was Kurt Gowdy. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was pretty good from a young guy back then. And that qualified you to get potentially to the final. The final was seven guys were selected, and you did. Uh, you went to a Red Sox game, and you each taped one inning of a baseball game. All right. And the winner then got to broadcast one inning on the radio. I won neither that time nor the next year when – my local radio station called me and said, hey, submit an application to us and you can probably go as far, which I did go as far through the Concord radio station and made it down to Boston again, but I lost two years in a row. But that's how I, that was my first taste of broadcasting was in the Red Sox Junior Sportscaster Contest. Now, I'm reading that Kirk Gowdy was also a big influence of yours. Is that right? Well, I think I at the time I I you know he was a hero, mm -hmm. he was he was one of the Boston broadcasters, and so I probably tried to make believe I was him a little bit. Um, I mean, he was he was someone special. Yeah, I didn't know him any time other than those two or three visits. Yeah, uh, never met him after that, but uh, he was special at the time. He was one of the big broadcasters of the day of the day. Yeah, I had the I had the same uh, feeling about Fred Cusick being the hockey guy that I am. Uh, there you go, same thing. What, what, if I were to say I, I and again it's later later because well, Gil Santos is probably my style. Mm -hmm. If you can picture Gil's presentation of doing the Patriots game, I would say that if I followed anybody, it probably was trying to be like Gil Santos, try to be excited but stay on the play. Described it. You're in radio. You should make create a picture, and uh, I thought Gil, I thought Gil was the best, and so uh, that's my style. Gil Santos yeah. style. Yeah, I remember calling Gil. I called WBC one day to leave a message, and Gil answered the phone, and I'm like, man, this is like the voice of God talking oh, to me, right? <laughs> only I could have had that voice. Yeah. Oh wow. Well, uh, that that good was man too. a good man. Absolutely. Well, 
let's talk a little bit about your your time at UNH uh, as a student and then you know starting to do games on the campus uh, radio station now, how did that all come about Jim yeah, well you know it's like any college radio station you just go and uh, say I'd like to do a record show or or whatever uh, I started in my freshman year I don't honestly remember if I did a record show if I said I wanted to do a uh, do some sports I remember my roommate at the time doing, I did a game and whether he, I don't think he taped me. He just told me later that I described this play and my voice was up to the sky and I was so excited and somebody got a hoop and it made it two to nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I learned even from that first time at UNH, uh, let's tone it down a little bit at the beginning. because uh, uh, I, I could raise my voice on exciting place. But so I did uh, a year or two at, at, at the university. I then had the bug. And so yes. what I did, I went to uh, a junior college down in uh, Boston and completed that to go get a kind of associate's broadcast degree. Uh, and, yep. that's, and went from there. And you've done a lot of jobs in the broadcasting industry, right, Jim? You've been a news director. You've been a program director. You've been a disc jockey. So that's all part of the paying the dues process, isn't it? Well, back in radio from the uh, 60s on up, uh, first of all, in Concord, New Hampshire, you're not going to get much money uh, by working in radio, especially in those times. So, yeah, you did it all. And you worked out. I mean, I was a disc jockey originally. I then eventually became a news director and and by having presidential primaries and and governor's races in the state house right here in town, got a lot of experience doing news, moved back into programming all the time now doing high school sports. Mm -hmm. And that was extra pay. So that made it nice starting to freelance, uh, even though it was mostly my radio station and uh, eventually went into sales so I could be even more available to be able to freelance for sports. So I went through the whole kit and caboodle as far as local radio stations are concerned and all the time trying to set up this freelance life that I would have that would at least give me a living. Uh, The combination of Grand State Challenge with UNH Athletics on the network allowed me to put food on the table. (laughs) Well, that's that's important. Uh, It was. And I've read... You know, of all the sports you've done, I kind of got the sense that basketball was your favorite. Is that accurate? I guess that that it's warmer than going to hockey rinks. In the winter. <laughs> so that was that part of it. I have liked basketball a lot. I did do some hockey on New Hampshire Public Television. Uh, I enjoyed doing it, but I didn't know the game much. I didn't skate. I had some great analysts, Bob Norton, who used to work for Nesson, uh, was my analyst in, in football and uh, and in television hockey for many years. Uh, so he was great because I would I could describe the play. I'm talking hockey now. Mm-hmm. I could describe the play, and that pace was my style, so I could go up and down. That was no problem. But when the whistle blew, I didn't want to describe what happened. Right. Because, uh, and, and Bob was so good. We had such a chemistry that, that when I stopped and paused, he knew it was his turn and he would jump in and do his thing. So I enjoyed doing the hockey and I had some notoriety doing the hockey because, on television because New Hampshire Public Television was the only place in town at that time that was doing it on television, college mm-hmm. hockey on television. 
I had some broadcasters in the Boston area would express to me in person, Jim, I, I'm so jealous of you because uh -huh. I'm sitting here in Boston and I can't find an outlet to do television hockey. And so for a period of five years or so, we did 12 or 14 games and got some pretty good notoriety. But I'll go back to the original. It wasn't my strongest sport. I could mm -hmm. do it, but it wasn't my strongest. So then we settled into the football basketball routine. Well, I hope you'll indulge me because I do want to talk a little bit about hockey because I don't know if Mike told you, I, I, I'm the radio voice of Merrimack hockey, uh, oh, Merrimack yeah. and uh, radio and TV. So there's a few uh, items I'd like to touch on. One of the guys you worked with is a guy that I met when I started at Merrimack in 2005, and I'm referring to Dick Osborne. Oh, yes. Uh, you did, boss, originally. Yeah, you did a lot of work with Dick over the years, and and I remember I remember uh, seeing him when we crossed paths. So uh, he was an important figure of New Hampshire sports for a while. Yes, he was. And for a local type of radio or a statewide type of radio or maybe even regional, as strong a hockey announcer at that time as I would compare him to almost anybody at that time, the 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, he, was, he was just outstanding. And right until he stopped broadcasting for UNH, I just thought, we had talked in the past. I said, Dick, why didn't you go on? I, I, he was certainly good enough mm -hmm. to go on to, to big-time broadcast. But he was a guy who just uh, liked his news, liked his sales, liked his management, and he just enjoyed the size of a Concord, New Hampshire, and he had his hands wet by being able to do it for UNH, and he was happy. But he could have gone, to me, he could have gone a lot further. Yeah, and then uh, along came Dan Parkhurst, right? Dan did UNH uh, games for quite a while, and he did the Hockey's Game of the Week as well. So uh, he's another guy with Pete Webster that worked together for quite a while, and uh, what a team they made. Yeah, Pete, uh, yes, Dan, uh, it was a great job, and then he kept going, as you said. Uh, he did a lot of NCAA games. Uh, we've had a good from Dick to Dan. We've had a good list of uh, broadcasters from UNH that have gone on to do very well. Pete Webster is a, a longtime friend of mine. I ran a junior sportscaster and sports writer camp for four years here in Concord, a summer camp. Mm -hmm. And we would bring in these kids who were just 12 to oh, 10 to 14 years of age. And they were just crazy uh, wanting to be broadcasters or writers. I won't go into detail, but we had a lot of fun. But Pete Webster was one of my counselors on <laughs> one of those camps that, that year. And then I saw Pete this year. Pete has been a longtime coach on a high school level of soccer. Did right. You know that? Yes. Okay. Right. Soccer is his sport. Hockey does a fine job as an analyst. But New Hampshire, UNH, in the last three or four years has been a nationally ranked soccer team. And all of a sudden, we're getting a lot of TV coverage mm -hmm. on uh, ESPN Plus. And Pete this year was doing the color. And oh, yes. It was magnificent. And <laughs> I told him, I said, Peter, you have to go and find some soccer program somewhere. I mean, he was just, as an analyst, he told me just what, because I don't know soccer. And he told me he just was good. He filled in all the blanks I needed to fill in. So Pete and I go back a long way as well. Isn't it nice? New England, we talk about New Hampshire, but you're in Massachusetts. We're talking New England. It's so oh. nice to have people that you can just share stories with because you each know each other. 
Yeah, without question, Jim. And it's it, this is so much fun to talk these conversations with you because, I mean, like I said, you've been around for for uh, decades doing this. But, uh, I I gotta I gotta share something. The first college hockey game I ever saw was on a small black and white television, and I remember getting the reception from the New Hampshire radio station WMUR right at the old Snively Arena where UNH used to play. With the, there. Yeah, so yeah. this is this is the days of Rod Langway and Bobby Gould, who played there. So the first game I probably ever watched, you were probably on the call. Probably. Uh, Hislop. Yeah. Uh, you just named uh, one of them. Uh, uh, Bobby Gould, right? Bobby Gould. Yeah. Hislop. Langway. We had a, a game. St. Lawrence, mm-hmm. and Cal Prater was in the Nets. You remember that name? Oh, uh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Uh, and anyway, New Hampshire was down three goals, mm-hmm. and they went on a two-man power play. Mm-hmm. And that Hislop line um, and Gould, Hislop Gould, Charlie Holt, the coach, sent out three forwards instead of two forwards and a defense. Ah. And, and uh, they had a two-minute five-on-three breakout. Mm-hmm. And they got the three goals in those two minutes. Because wow. at that time, they didn't come back on the ice after the goal. So, <laughs> so you, you were down two, you were down two. Anyway, the old lively snively that you talked about, yeah. freezing cold, uh, it, it just exploded. It was one of my hockey highlight, by all means, uh, doing that comeback. And ironically, it's one of the most well-known TV videos that they have out of the black and white from Channel 11. And unfortunately, they ended up losing the game. Oh, so wow. It was a historic game, but it was not a win. <laughs> well, a couple of quick things before we move away from the hockey. I got yeah. to bring up Dick Humilly, right? Because Dick is a legend up there. Coached UNH hockey for many years. I really got to know Dick over the years. We were sad to see him retire, but I wonder if you'd share care to share a story or a thought about Dick. Well, I don't have any real close to that. You know, he has so many people that he knows, and he's such a funny man that they have great stories. You're not going to get a great one from me because I knew him on the campus of UNH. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so... I've been a longtime friend. He's been a longtime supporter. He uh, went to when they awarded me with a Hall of Fame at uh, UNH. Uh, he was there, and uh, he, I call him a friend. But other guys have better stories about Dick Humility than I do. Okay, so I'll have to beg off that one. That's not a problem. But you, one guy you do know very well is Mike Murphy. We have to touch on him. Uh, I'd like to just talk about uh, your history with Mike and. You kind of took him under your wing, right? And and he kind of took off from there. And that's putting it uh, putting it uh, lightly. But uh, maybe just a, a couple of stories, thoughts about Mike and your relationship with him over the years. Well, he is he is just a great broadcaster. I mean, now for those who don't know, he's an associate athletic director at the University of New Hampshire in media relations. Just a great talent as a broadcaster. I met him. He uh, was just a young whippersnapper, using an old term, from Syracuse University, a graduate, had just been married, and they moved. There's this guy, a, a, 
a Jets, a Mets, and all the Net fans and everything else from Connecticut <laughs> just loved his New York, coming to Concord, New Hampshire, to a small radio station. And he became our morning disc jockey. Mm-hmm. That was his first job, I think, in the business, I think. Uh, and I was the newsman, so we worked a lot together in the mornings for, for many years. But Mike, as you know, has a great wit, is is uh, is quick with the ad-libs. Uh, so he just made that come to pass on the radio. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had little talk shows, and his morning talk was he, was, he was just wonderful as a young broadcaster. And then I learned of his love for sports, and uh, I soon had him doing color. And yes, he came with me, and I hope I did do some mentoring for him because he has advanced to become several-time New Hampshire Sportscaster of the Year as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knows how to broadcast. He knows how to create excitement. Uh, Mike is uh, Mike is another one of those that I think could have gone on. Um, he's a family man, has some great kids, uh, lived in Concord. He didn't mind the commute, and so he's made his life at UNH. Will it stay there forever? He's happy. Mm-hmm. He still does some broadcasts for them, and he's in athletics. But he is just, yeah, he's a great broadcaster. A great broadcaster, but now an athletic administrator. Yeah, I circle the UNH dates on the calendar when UNH and Merrimack get together because it's always sure. a lot of fun. Whether oh, it's, yeah. well, I remember when we used to travel, we used to come up to the Whittemore Center. We don't anymore. We just do the home games. But it's always great to see Mike and Pete. And uh, I know Mike has a lot of fondness for you, Jim, and uh, and what you've done over your over oh, your long you. career. Now he's a, he's, a, he's a wonderful guy. There's no question about that. We're talking with Jim Janot, 23-time New Hampshire Sportscaster of the Year. For 34 years, he was the host of Granite State Challenge up in the state of New Hampshire. I'm John Leahy. This is airing it out, files from Leahy's broadcast booth. And, Jim, I thought we'd touch on a little bit of football. I know you did some football up there as well with uh, Jock McKenzie. Uh, yeah. that, that's a name I'd like to le- learn a little more about, and I know that goes back to the 70s, right? You got it. And he's the one I started with over there. He invited me to be his analyst. Uh, and and uh, 1974 was my first time working with him. And uh, Jock was uh, the voice of UNH for a number of years uh, at that time. And uh, I worked with him till 1978, I think. So it would be four or five years. And we had some good years of football at that time. We had some very good players. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I think in those four years, we went out west to Montana and uh, and uh, maybe even northern Iowa for playoff games. And so we had we had a good time together. But Jock brought me on with the idea that he's he's going to train me and then I'll become his his replacement. But pretty soon he was having so much fun that he wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> he, had, he had been reborn and we had a good time working together. We really did. But then Dick Osborne and I, we worked at the radio station in Concord. We said, we both want to be play-by-play men. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do it with Jock. Dick's not going to replace him as a hockey announcer. I'm not going to replace him as a football announcer. So we approached Dartmouth. And we did uh, three years of uh, Dartmouth football, mm-hmm. two basketball games, and uh, and hockey. Uh, so that took me away uh, from UNH until 1980, 
one, I think, and on a radio station uh, then with Jock uh, kind of still going at it. Uh, but I, I'm not sure if he was ready to quit. I think he was. It was time he was ready to quit eight years before. But uh, we put into a, a bid uh, for the network coming out of Concord and uh, and Andy Meridian, the athletic director, chose us. And so as a result, Jock's at least UNH career ended around 81. He was very gracious and uh, I think he was ready to retire. So how much fun was it to uh, do Ivy League games, uh, you know, with Dartmouth? That must have been a, a for college football. That's a fun experience, isn't it? It was a lot of fun. That was, again, 78, 79, 80, somewhere around there. What was fun was going to the old stadiums, which are even older stadiums today. <laughs> you, know, you, go, you go to some of the same old stadiums today as I did in, in 1979. Uh, I So well, that was nice for me because I had never seen any of these big, beautiful Ivy League stadiums. So that was fun. The caliber of football was fun. But you know, and I'm not trying to be nasty about it, but it wasn't the same as as UNH, mm -hmm. blue-collar football. Uh, oh, and, and Joe Yukiko was the coach, and he was a wonderful man. Mm -hmm. And I got to know Joe for a long time, working through the National Football Foundation here in the state. And so... He was a great type of people, but there was just something about, I want to get back to UNH. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was just, I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> we'd go to, we'd go to post hockey parties and, and they, people would be introducing us as the broadcasters and they'd say, hi, John Leahy, 43. Hi, John, <laughs> 67. Hi. And I thought everybody's last name was a number. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what they were doing. All of a sudden, they had to explain to me that's the year they graduated. Oh, okay. well, nobody admits to graduating at UNH, so we don't yeah. have a hit. <laughs> so, oh, anyway, that's... go ahead. And then, no, you know yeah. I enjoyed my stay doing it, but I was ready to get back in Wildcat country. So the rivalry between UNH and Maine now is is intense, whether it be hockey or football. Was it that way back when you were doing the games, or did that just start well, kind of recently? I think they're promoting it more so now. They have white out the white, or white out the wit, and and they have all kinds of great promotions. Every game now between Maine and and New Hampshire is worth a point, and somebody, some school gets an award at the end of the year. So I think they're promoting it more now. But in football, it was always a rivalry. I mean, you 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 didn't want to lose to Maine. Uh, they have this musket up here that hangs in the locker room of the winning team, and you just didn't want to give up this whole uh, Civil War musket to the other team. So there was a definite rivalry for football. I would say there was a rivalry for basketball, but we were so bad all through the years that, you know, we never won. And so, you know, that's why I was – Sportscaster of the Year for 23 years because people felt sorry for me. I never broadcast <laughs> wins. I think they, they kind of said that let's give them the award for making losing games exciting. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. But, so, we, so I can't call it a rivalry because we didn't do well. We're, New Hampshire basketball is turning the corner now. It's taken a long time. Uh, the last six to ten years, we're now seeing some life and uh, some excitement, but hockey is so entrenched up here that even a couple of 20-win seasons that Bill Herrian had 
within the last six years did not attract big houses, did not be, mm -hmm. you know, it's still a sell until they get to the America East final and then maybe sneak into the NCAA as a wild card sometime. Then maybe people will believe. But I love the basketball. The hockey's had the success. I just want to see a day with where they win the America East Championship. And they, they've come reasonably close lately, but uh, they're still not there. Well, you know, we touched on high school broadcasting, too, a little while ago, Jim. And uh, I just I just did a high, a high school hockey game last week on my internet radio, radio station. And uh, I I was reminded of all the years I did high school sports and how much of a challenge it is. I was actually set up behind the players bench I couldn't see 75 percent of the rink and yeah. when you when you do division one sports and then you go back to kind of that high school environment it kind of brings you back to where you you started so yeah. I, I'd love to get your your thoughts about just what it was like to do high school games how much fun that was and maybe some of the people and analysts you worked with back then well the analysts were mostly from the radio station some coaches I, I got to get to be a little more selective when I went to the college route. And so I could take the Bob Norton's of the world, uh, things like that. But old time radio had great stories, had great mm -hmm. stories. And you made friends with all uh, the, your fellow broadcasters. And we had in New Hampshire, it's a small state. In the Class L basketball championship game, there's two teams mm -hmm. and there would be 10 radio stations. Mm hmm. I mean, it was big time stuff back then. Well, when we do a Portsmouth, I'll tell you this one story. When we do a Portsmouth game, and and these were always the worries about setting up, as you may have had down there in that bandbox that you were broadcasting in recently. Yep. But you had to one wonder if the telephone company ever got your line in. You always yeah. hate to show up and find out your line wasn't installed. Right. You'd be right on the floor in Concord High School. And I would be in the middle, and one Boston, one uh, Portsmouth radio station was to my right, one was to my left. Mm -hmm. We're hooked up. Everybody seems to be hooked up. But all of a sudden, about, oh, I would say midway through the first quarter, a janitor comes running in, and when I see you coming, I'll go, oh, my God. Well, it didn't stop at my table. He stops at the guy to my right. Uh -huh. He says, you're off the air. They're not that they they're only hearing background. Oh boy. Hate because when that happens. He gets up and goes out. Mm -hmm. I continue playing the broadcast. The second radio station continues broadcasting. This guy, nobody's hearing. When mm. suddenly he comes running back in and he reaches over me to the guy, his fellow Portsmouth opponent broadcaster, mm -hmm. and tells him he's off the air. Mm. And he's not. So wow. the guy who was on the air, took his microphone off, and all the people could hear was crowd noise. <laughs> while this guy over here was doing a play-by-play -play and nobody could hear him. Wow. Because the cell phone company didn't didn't put in the line. But oh, to have this guy have this guy come in and know now that his microphone's been live and everybody's hearing just crowd noise and nothing. <laughs> this guy's yakking away and nobody's hearing him. That's that's old time radio. Yeah, <laughs> the company was at our beck and call. Wow, wow, <laughs> uh, that's such a great story. And I know we all have them, right? From at the we high school them. level, you know, uh, doing games from uh, freezing cold rinks, doing them 
doing games in very odd circumstances and situations, but it kind of gives us the uh, appreciation once you get to the higher level, you know, where you cut your teeth, that kind of gives you that sense of appreciation. Yeah, it does. It does. And I've had a, it's been wonderful. And, and my association with UNH has been wonderful. I've had, I'm still very friendly with the people down in America East in the office. Uh, I don't have quite the background with the with the hockey, although actually a former UNH uh, helped me with a Steve uh, Metcalf. Yeah. Steve Metcalf is the head of, he's a former UNH. Yes. So yes. We have, uh, we have relationships there. It's been a, it's been a great career. I haven't been in it now for six or seven years, but I I still go to most of the uh, basketball games as a fan. I go to the ba- the football games and kind of help uh, one of the uh, side staff with statistics, mm-hmm. uh, just to keep your hand in it and see your old friends and things like that. But uh, the it's been a while, but my association with UNH has been wonderful and. And I have many good memories, many good memories. Do you have a chance, Jim, to just sit back and reflect on it all? I, I imagine you must. And it's got to be it's got to be so thrilling to look back on all you've done. I know that on this format, I'm supposed to talk about myself. I'm not one who talks about myself a lot. Mm-hmm. And yet I have a men's coffee group that we meet once a week on Monday mornings. Mm-hmm. Recently, I might have been some newer people. I'm not sure, but but that's they want to ask me questions. Mm-hmm. They want to do what we just did for the last half hour, and and that I won't say it embarrasses me. It it pleases me, but but yeah, kicking back and talking about the memories, uh, talking about some of the players we got to see. I mean, we I did some note taking today, just crazy. Uh, you know how many players have been selected to play in the NFL? And and just running down, you're thinking UNH, and you you call these guys games. Corey Graham had 12 years in the National Football League for the Bears. Dan mm-hmm. Kreider was a fullback for nine years for Pittsburgh. Dwayne Gordon, eight years for Miami. Terry Azuma was a great runner. Well, he's a runner at UNH. He was a quarterback at, uh, for the Bears. You start to say, my God, I did these these games for these guys. Right. It's really pretty good. Yeah, you know, awesome. Good. Awesome stuff. Well, one last thing, Jim, before I let you go. Uh, I was on, as a matter of fact, I was on WKXL this morning in Concord. Oh, my gosh. And I talked with Ken a man. Kale? Yeah, Ken Kale. Now, that's this is the last name I want to bring up here before I let you go. Okay. Ken spoke glowingly of you. And, uh, of course, you've got a lot of history there at WKXL up in Concord. And Ken mentioned he'd love to get you on his show at some point if you want to. <laughs> So we got to talk about Ken a little bit here because he yeah. he is also a legend of, in New Hampshire uh, radio. He sure is. Uh, he made it to the big time. He made it to Manchester. I never made it to Manchester. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but he is, yeah, he's doing that. Do uh, uh, talk sports like we're doing here on his yeah. program? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have a segment where, where we discuss Hockey East during the winter. So. Okay, okay yeah. good. Well, yeah. Ken, for the people who don't know, he was a, a former three or four time New Hampshire sportscaster of the year, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I know he's won it two or three times anyway. Nice mellow voice, just a gentleman of a of an individual. He was just a, a peach. He can talk music, he can talk art, he can talk sports forever. Mm-hmm. Uh and and he he has 
you in mind when he's interviewing you or talking to you. Mm-hmm. He really, there's no ego with that guy. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he, he's uh, he's just a, a gentleman, and I'm I'm proud to have known him for all these years. And Ken uh, told me the story of how he uh, got going with Bob Wilson. Uh, Bob, he was the statistician for Bob Wilson doing the Bruins games uh, many years ago. So I think uh, Ken's got a lot of stories, probably much better than mine on a regional basis. Oh, <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, it, Jim. You know, the time goes by so fast, and the I've. I just met you less than an hour ago, but I feel like I've known you all my life. And it, it's great, great to finally get a chance to meet you. And I've enjoyed talking over sports and broadcasting with you. And uh, I can't thank you enough for being here. We're, we're going to have the world here this tomorrow morning. And uh, as I said, it's such a pleasure. And I can't thank you enough for being here tonight. Well, I appreciate it. The world will be shocked tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> the world Thanks. will be <laughs> the world will be pleasantly surprised. This is it. This is content we have to get out there. Uh, well, so I appreciate it. Jim, it thanks. So, thanks so much for being here. We appreciate it. You bet. Thanks. All right. Uh, thanks to my special guest, Jim Janot, 23 time New Hampshire sportscaster of the year. I'm John Leahy. You've been listening to airing it out files from Leahy's broadcast booth. We invite you to stay with us and we'll have more next week. You've been listening to airing it out files from Leahy's broadcast booth. Hi, this is John Leahy. Please check out my website at johnrleahy.com. You can explore the history of my time in sportscasting from my early days to the present. You can view my resume, listen and watch my audio and video demonstration reels, as well as learn about this podcast, my internet radio station, the Harbor Light Sessions Radio Network, watch my music demos, learn about my books, audiobook narration, and you can check out my event calendar. There's also an informational section with tips and tools in broadcasting, along with my personal influences and cool links. Check it out at johnrleahy.com.